0: Good evening again, and an early Merry Christmas. If you would like to follow along in your Bibles, we're going to look at just two verses tonight from Luke chapter 2, they're going to be verses 39 and verse 40. It's not a full Sunday morning message, Lord willing, but in fact a short thought as we close off our series we've been working on. On Sunday mornings, come behold the wondrous mystery. Give you a moment to get to Luke chapter 2. And so, as we've been considering this theme, come behold the wondrous mystery, we've been looking at the testimonies of those who saw Christ when he was born, when he was a baby. And then tonight, we're going to look at the whole city of Nazareth. Rather, the city of Nazareth as a whole, that is. And consider what would be the testimony of the town wherein Jesus, not born, but grew up. Naturally, if we're going to think of a town when we think about the birth of Christ around Christmas, what comes to mind? The little town of what? Bethlehem right but since I like to divert even if just for the sake of diverting we're going to look at Nazareth now this will hopefully feel a little bit more natural because we've been in Luke chapter 2 the last few weeks as we looked at Simeon and then looked at Anna this past Sunday and now we'll close off this section um, just before a fascinating story is of Jesus at 12 years old but Nazareth deserves a mention around Christmas time as well I'd say Because this is the place where Jesus called home the longest. So long that it is, in fact, what he took into his name. It was not Jesus of Bethlehem. It was Jesus of Nazareth. So are you in Luke chapter 2? And would you follow along with me, please? And we'll pray after reading the passage. Starting at verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Lord, tonight, on this holy night, this silent night, this night where we remember shepherds and kings, we remember prophets and prophetesses, we remember wicked kings and terrible tragedy, All of these stories center on a baby. And Lord, tonight, as we sing about that baby, would you help us to break from that for a moment and consider the connecting point between this baby and the cross? Because this baby had to grow, he had to have a home. Lord, tonight, would you settle it in our hearts? You have placed us where you have placed us intentionally for our growth, for your glory, so that Christ may be known wherever we are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can kind of see, hopefully, from verse 40, what would be Luke's idea of the testimony of Nazareth concerning Jesus. This in verse 40 is where the child grew. This is where he grew up. This is the phrase we use when we think about where home really is, right? If you have lived in Lima all your days, if you grew up here, this is home because you grew up here, right? There's always going to be something about that place that you grew up that you would call home. And this was true, just as true, I would say, for Christ as it is for us. Tonight, I want you to consider three thoughts from this passage. First, that Jesus grew in a little town exactly where God placed him. Secondly, that Jesus grew despite the opposition around him. And thirdly, that Jesus grew by the grace of his father. Perhaps the most mysterious of these observations. But let's start at the beginning. Jesus grew in a little town where God placed him. Again, we sing about a little town of Bethlehem. Nazareth was also a very little town. Uh, Scholars assume that their population was between 200 and 1,600. So not very big at all. This was a a very close-knit community. But we also know that nothing really happened there except for this very largest thing in human history, right? Which It's just a, a funny conundrum to think You know, remember when the wise men came looking for the Christ, where did they first go? Did they go to Bethlehem? Where did they go? They went to Jerusalem, which is the city of the king. And they went to the king, right? They went to Jerusalem, the city of the king, and they were told to go to Bethlehem, the city of David, who became king, but not in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, he was just a shepherd the little town of Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. Sometime after then, after his short time in Egypt, after they escaped Herod's wrath there and came back, they came back, verse 39 tells us, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Now Luke doesn't mention the fleeing to Egypt, and that's okay. We get that from Matthew, and that happened here in the middle of verse 39, of course, before coming back to Nazareth. But look at verse 39 at the end. It doesn't just say that he, they, they were like, you know what would be a great place to live? Nazareth. Right? They didn't sit there and, you know, get on, get on their iPad and go on Zillow and think, like, where are some really nice houses that we could live in? we got all this gold, myrrh, and frankincense. We should be able to make a pretty good profit off of that, find a nice place to live, right? They went home, didn't they? They went back to Nazareth, to their own town of Nazareth. At this point, of course, Jesus doesn't really have a say in what goes on, right? He didn't say, hey, mom and dad, we should really go to Nazareth so that what was written of me, what was, what was written concerning me of the, from the prophets, that I would be called a Nazarene so that that might be fulfilled. We learn that in the end of Matthew chapter 2. He doesn't say that. He grew up in a little town, which is where God placed him. Yes, Mary and Joseph went back there. But you'll remember that the conversation that the angel Gabriel had with Mary happened in Nazareth, where she lived. The conversation that the angel had with Joseph also happened in Nazareth. This was where the setting was truly to be. And what is the testimony of this town? This is where he grew up. This is where God wanted him to be. So I have to ask you a silly question. Are you where God wants you to be tonight? Are you growing as Christ grew where his Father placed him? Are you growing where your Heavenly Father has placed you? I think it's a very Christian-y kind of thing to ask that question of, I'm just not sure where God wants me to be right now, right? And the truth, I think, of Scripture is that the place that God wants you to be is where you are because he's sovereign. And when he wants you somewhere else, do you know what will happen? He will put you there. I think for many of us, we can, we can nod our heads and say, that's true, that's true of my life. I mean, yeah, of course, we, we make decisions and we say, I'm going to follow this job, I'm going to live in this house, I'm going to, et cetera, et cetera. But in the long run, and, and zooming out away from our lives, we could see God is in control everything that goes on. And what is it that he wants us to do? wherever we are, the little town where he has placed us, perhaps. He wants us to grow there. It's a temptation in some Christians' minds as well to think, I'll start growing or start really being used by God once I get to this certain place. Maybe they're not thinking of a physical location, but they might be thinking of a certain ministry or a certain financial situation that we say, now, now I can really give my time, my talent, and my treasure to the Lord. He wants us to grow Excuse the silly phrase, but grow where we're planted. It's true. And how did Jesus grow in this place? Look at verse 40. The child, that is Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Well, this is a fascinating verse because Christmas is about the incarnation. That is God becoming carnate, becoming Man. And it's important for us not to imagine that what God sent Jesus to do was to say, hey, take a little bit of this divinity and bring it down and just smush it together with a little bit of that humanity in there. And then hang out in Nazareth and see what happens. God is not a mad scientist mixing vials together. A little bit of human, a little bit of divine. What's going to happen? Whoa, I don't know. There's smoke. Oh, boy, this isn't good. That's not what he's doing. This is, uh, theologians call this the hypostatic union when they talk about the incarnation. It's a really big fancy word that's really good for showing off at parties if you need one. Hypostatic union simply means that Jesus, who was fully God, We learned that from John 1 last year around Christmas time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became flesh. He did not set aside any of who He was. He set aside all of what that meant as far as worship, as far as peace and comfort and closeness to His Father. He left behind all the benefits of being the Son of God so that he could come down to this little town of Nazareth, exactly where his father asked him to go. So you are where your heavenly father has asked you to go. We are. We are. Secondly, Jesus grew despite the opposition around him. I wonder if you had a, t- a time in your life, or, or maybe you're going through that time in your life right now, or maybe that has happened multiple times, where you just thought, I would love to get out of my hometown. I don't know what that's like because I'm that much of a homebody. I've never really wanted to leave my own hometown. I I really, you could probably look at the last few years before moving to Lima and see this man is doing everything he can to not leave the little township of Suffield, living five minutes away from my parents, two minutes away from my in-laws, three minutes away from my brother. It's very comfortable. I didn't have that high school moment of, yeah, college, we're going to get out of here. Right? I, I don't know. I was a weirdo. But from what I understand, it was pretty normal for, for people at a certain time of life, at a certain age perhaps, to say, I just want to get out of here. The world is so big. And Jesus, of course, did leave his hometown, didn't he? We'll get to that at the end. But sometimes that motivation of leaving your hometown is because of something about the hometown that you feel like is limiting you. I mean, is it every single movie you've seen that starts with a kid in high school and he said, this town just doesn't let me do what I want to do. So many stories start out that way because there's opposition, either perceived or real. A lot of the opposition that we imagine is just that. It's imagined. It's perceived. We think we're limited because we're not where God wants us to be, which is just a cover for us saying we're not where we want to be. But Jesus grew despite real opposition around him. And you even hear about this opposition in John chapter 1, verse 46. One of my favorite lines here, when Nathaniel and Philip are talking about Jesus, Philip talks to Nathaniel and says, Hey, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, they don't even have a Target or a Chick-fil-A or a Starbucks. I mean, there's, there's, you can, you can feel the like, ew, in his voice, can't you? And and all the reasons that we attach you know, that, that place is just farmland or that place is nothing but swamp or, or that, you know, whatever it might be. He was looking at it and saying, that that's just an agricultural town. It's just a little town. Nobody, nobody good comes out of there. There was a general despising of the town from other towns around. The town that had nothing to offer. A town, again, somewhere between 200 and 1,600 people. just small compared to the surrounding areas of Galilee. And about the same compared to Bethlehem again. Remember, we mentioned earlier from Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, that Matthew tells us that when Jesus and his family went back to Nazareth, it was so that it would be fulfilled what the prophets said, that he shall be called a Nazarene. There's no line in the prophets about a Nazarene. I found when I was looking for it. Fascinating. What is Matthew talking about? It seems one option is this general idea of disdain around the idea of being a Nazarene, being one from Nazareth, fits so well with the description that we read from the prophets about the Messiah. Take one, perhaps, that'll be familiar to you, Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and rejected by men. This is the world that Jesus came into, and he came into a little town that wasn't really going to help him with that. Do you remember, again, from John chapter 1, that Jesus is the light, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can't overcome it. And then he came to his own, and his own didn't receive him. And in our journey through the Gospel of John, we're seeing nobody's looking at him and going, I don't like your face, Jesus. I don't like you. the town you came from. It's the things that he's saying, the things that he's doing, and what that truly means. And Nazareth becomes just this additional thing that God throws onto the story. By the way, he's also a Nazarene. A lot of people don't like Nazarenes. And this was God's plan to enhance this idea that the Messiah would be despised and rejected by men, even men like Nathanael, who at first would reject him. But then upon seeing him, Jesus would say, well, it's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel says to Jesus, how do you know me? Who do you think you are? And he says, well, when you were sitting under the fig tree, I saw you. And what does Nathaniel say? Hold on a second. What? You're from Nazareth. There's no, no, that changes everything for him. The truth of who Jesus is is revealed, and Nathaniel responds in faith and says, my Lord and my God, and he's in. But so many others. In fact, the vast majority of people that Jesus came into contact with rejected him outright or didn't stick around long enough for it to mean anything. He was despised and rejected by men. And this opposition that Jesus grew in despite this opposition around him is opposition that is still real to us today. Not something we really think about at Christmas time, right? Goodwill to men, joy, peace, all these really good things. And and a lot of people that don't even want anything to do with Jesus are saying these great phrases and words, singing them in their cars and as they're pushing the uh, cart through the grocery store. Yet the spiritual reality remains. Christ was despised and rejected by men. And no, no student is greater than his master. We should not expect any difference. So we face opposition from the world around us, but we also face the opposition of our flesh. We face the opposition of the devil. Constantly, these things, these pressures around us, we, don't, we can't always identify those things perfectly. But we recognize, even at Christmas time, even when we create this nice Christmas bubble where we take time off of work and we, you know, we shut the doors and we stay inside and we turn on the Hallmark Channel and watch all the Christmas movies and play the music and cook the cookies and bake the cookies, rather, just kind of tune ourselves out to the rest of the world for maybe a day or a couple days. Maybe that's not how you celebrate Christmas. I hope not. Maybe you get out and go see people. But there's a tendency for us to absorb as much of this season as we possibly can because this opposition is real. Jesus faced this opposition. And the reason we're talking about Nazareth tonight, instead of just talking about Bethlehem, which maybe we'll talk about Bethlehem next year, but this year we're talking about the place that God placed Jesus to grow up in despite the opposition around him. And that that opposition would become the tool in the hand of the sovereign God to work salvation for all of his people. Because this child, this baby that we sing about, grew up in Nazareth. He became a man. He became Jesus of Nazareth. And he went to Jerusalem, the city of the king, and he was despised and rejected there and crucified as a murderer, as a criminal. You've probably heard it said many times in the past few weeks or the past few years, perhaps, with social media and whatnot, but if we, if we separate Easter away from Christmas, we don't really have what Christmas is about. That's why this opposition is brought up. That's why we need to think about this tonight. But the good news is that that opposition did not overcome Christ. He overcame that opposition. He conquered sin and death and the grave. He conquered our flesh. He conquered the world and the devil on our behalf so that we can walk in the growth that God has for us as well. Why did Jesus have to grow? Because he was 100% man. And because he needed to live a substitutionary life for you. He couldn't be any less human than you. He had to be every bit human as you, but he also had to be every bit God as he was so that in facing the wrath of God against all sin, he could conquer it. He could endure it. He could endure this opposition, this despising and rejecting going on because there was an even greater rejection at the cross that he had to face and overcome. And he has And this is why the message of Christmas is so precious because Jesus of Nazareth didn't just pop up on the scene as a full-grown man. He came as a baby so that we knew, wow, he was a little child so that when Simeon held him up and said, now I can depart in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation. He was talking about a baby. The preciousness of God's gift to us and a small baby given for us so we can face opposition. And we can grow in opposition. We can grow wherever God has placed us, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our families, in all the situations of life that we find ourselves in. We can grow because this is where God has placed us. The opposition is not greater than what Christ has faced on our behalf. And because we can grow by the grace of our Father in heaven, just as Christ did. Look at verse 41 last time. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And because he acted as a substitute, you, believer, grow strong and wise and the favor of God is upon you. All of this happening in a little town of Nazareth where Jesus grew what he made to be his home. Home is where we grow, isn't it? That's what happens at a home. And and I'm not just talking about kids. Obviously, that's the main focus, right? right, We we childproof all the outlets and the doors. We, We make our houses homes wherein we can grow little humans that grow up and then leave. But we also grow in our homes. And we continue to grow even as our children leave the homes. Growth still happens, and it happens most clearly in our homes where God has placed you on purpose, where you're facing opposition, but you're also filled with his grace. I hope that that is the reality that you are walking in and even struggling, perhaps, to grapple with as opposition comes. And, and even around Christmas time, that can bring so much joy, but it can also bring so much sorrow. This world is broken, it is not how it ought to be. Christ entered this brokenness in order to fix it, and the fixing is going on. Not all the way there yet, but He will return one day in glory and bring His kingdom fully, and perfectly. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, tonight we thank you on this eve of Christmas Eve that your grace is upon us, that the testimony of Nazareth reminds us that Christ came to a place to grow, to face opposition, to be where you asked him to be, where you called him to be, and ultimately to do so by grace. What a mystery. What a joy, what a comfort. Christ, our great high priest, who is not unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses because he has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet without sin. Because he is not the man who became God. He's not simply the God who left all of his divinity and became man, but he is the God-man. And he stands your right hand ever interceding for us. Lord, would you, in the remainder of our service tonight, would you fill us with great joy? Would you call to mind your great purposes for where you've placed us? And and remind us, Father, as we face opposition, be it because of our faith in you or just because we live in this fallen world, would you remind us that in our opposition, you are perfectly Strong, perfectly powerful, perfectly able to overcome all things because Christ has overcome all things for us. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.